Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about a very recent movie. Came out this year, last year. This year? This year, yeah. I think it was just back in the spring. Robert Eggers' third film, The Northman. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. So as you said, this was directed by Robert Eggers. It stars Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this name right or not. Clay's Bang, Ethan Hawke, Anya Taylor-Joy, among others. And the synopsis is Prince Amleth is on the verge of becoming a man when his father is brutally murdered. 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 He was murdered. By his uncle, who kidnaps the boy's mother. Two de- decades later, Amleth is now a Viking who's on a mission to save his mother, kill his uncle, and avenge his father. All right. So, what did he? What did you think? He myrtles his brother. Myrtle. Two decades later. <laughs> uh, what did I think of it? Um, before we just jump right in, because this is such a brand spanking new. Movie, we should reiterate that we do spoil these films. Um, We talk about the endings and we talk about all the interesting stuff that happens in them. So this being brand new and maybe you being new to our podcast. Excuse me, I'm burping all over the mic here. Um, Please, please be warned that if you don't want to hear us let any secrets out of the bag, then you should go watch this film first. I think you can rent it now on streaming stuff. You can rent it, and then also it is available on the uh, Peacock streaming network. Great. For people that who being that. Uh, what did I think of it? I loved it. I thought it was uh, visually stunning. I thought it was action-packed thought it was bloody and violent and um i thought it was moody and brooding and scary and exciting as i have come to expect from robert eggers over the other two films now we've talked about the lighthouse on this podcast and another mm-hmm. episode, but we i don't covered it did yeah. we talk about the witch or we just talked about talking about I, we did not actually so we reviewed we did an actual episode on the lighthouse um we have not done an episode on the witch but it's it's come up in conversation here and there on other episodes yes we have talked about robert eggers you know just in general as a filmmaker, uh, more than once, I think. Perhaps the best performance by a goat in the history of cinema. <laughs> pretty, yeah, uh, definitely so a, among the top. Before top we parse it, any, what did you think of The Northman? I was a little less enthusiastic than you were. Um, so I, I enjoy his other, or have enjoyed his other two films. I liked The Witch. I liked... The white, the lighthouse, man, I can't talk tonight. I like the lighthouse even more. I thought the lighthouse was, was fantastic. Um, there's no doubt with this one that it is visually stunning. And I, I had wanted to see this in the, in the movie theater. This is definitely one of these, see it on the biggest screen. You can possibly see it on. I agree. So the visually it's, you know, it's really fantastic. Um, I thought Alexander Skarsgård put in a really good performance. Um, and he's just a beast in this. I mean, he's oh, yeah. just huge and ripped and, you know, and it, I could see um, quite a bit of homage, uh, if not outright, just stealing scenes from other films in this. The, the beginning where, so Ethan Hawke is his father. He's the king. And his brother comes in and kills him. Uh, and the the boy sees what's happening. And then he, who is, it's not Alexander Skarsgård. It's a diff, different actor, but sees what's happening. They behead the king and all that. That was straight out of the original Conan the Barbarian. Mm. Um, I th- There's another scene where um, there's one point where later on when he's an adult, and he lowers himself into this kind of a pit with a rope. That was right out of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was like, yep. you know, is he going to have the staff of Ron? And all that's fine. 
Um, I thought there was a little bit of miscasting. Ethan Hawke, I just didn't think was, you know, um, didn't wasn't selling it as a Viking king. He wasn't selling it as a Viking king. And, and Ethan Hawke is a good actor, but it's one of these things where, you know, you're taking someone who is American and trying to have them do this Viking accent. And I think you're better off to just let them use their their normal voice. You know, it goes all the way back. I mean, I'm sure it goes back further than this. But do you remember the uh, the Robin Hood movie that uh, Kevin Costner did like back in the early 90s? And I they almost, just had him. I believe I didn't, but I do. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, you know, he wasn't going to be convincing with the British accent. So I, th I think sometimes you just, you just, either you hire somebody who can do the accent really, you know, who is so Alexander Skarsgård, even though I, I think he was born in America, but he's of Swedish descent. And I was reading that he had always wanted to do um, a Viking film, but you know, he is convincing with the accent. Uh, I just thought Ethan Hawke and, and he's only in it for the first few minutes. Um, that said, um, I thought Anya Taylor-Joy did a really fantastic job with the accent. And I thought uh, Nicole Kidman was good, too. Yeah. Um, I guess my main complaint would be that it's it's a pretty threadbare storyline. I mean, it's literally pretty much the synopsis is the entire story. You know, he he runs away. You know, he escapes his father being murdered. He goes to become a Viking and he spends the rest of his life plotting his revenge, which he ultimately gets. There's some little twists and turns, um, you know, to make it a little more interesting. But I, I just felt like it was, a, you know, about a 45 minute story stretched out to two hours and 16 minutes. It definitely picks up early on. In all honesty, I was getting kind of bored, um, but it picks up once he starts to dispatch of these various uh, people that are surrounded by the uncle. It definitely picks up and the latter half of the movie is uh, is cool. And, and I thought the ending was really great. Um, yes. So I didn't I didn't dislike it. I was expecting to like it more than than what I did. I hear um, you. And it's it's an odd movie because it's, you know, it's this artsy kind of Oscar bait um, type of a look with this very B-movie horror film. Not that it's poorly done. I mean, it's well done. But uh, gore with, you know, entrails and body parts and all this kind of stuff. So it's just a weird... I'm amazed... Uh, in a way that this was a this was a wide release. I mean, this played right here in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Um, and I was reading that it the budget they said is but was between 70 and 90 million, and it it brought in about 70 million dollars. Um, but they said it did well enough on VOD that it was com considered, you know, a, it made a profit. But yeah. So, so I kind of rambled on for a while about no, that. Not so, at all. Um, I hear everything you're saying. I think um, I saw the homage to those other sort of adventure films, mm -hmm. iconic um, shots. Um, mm -hmm. What I kept seeing and hearing was Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very much Hamlet. In fact, his name is Amleth, right? And the way that they say it is like, Amleth. <laughs> so it's like... They're calling him Hamlet at one point. I'm like, they're even his name even sounds like Hamlet, you know, that they're saying here. But uh, of course, Hamlet, um, the ghost of Hamlet's father appears to Hamlet and tells him that he was murdered by his brother, Claudius, who then marries Gertrude, his mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> Hamlet spends a long time agonizing over it can't quite bring himself to murder Claudius and exact revenge as his father's ghost demands. It takes five acts for him to finally muster. You know, he 
he's just not the type of character that goes right to the the kill he agonizes over it you know it's wrong to kill what do i believe believe a ghost you know it's like and i felt like part of the pacing of this movie is a little bit like that there's a number of times where he has opportunity to kill his uncle and doesn't for various reasons like oh it's not not now or someone's coming and like that doesn't seem to matter to you you just killed this other guard he's right there someone's coming just you know yeah he i doesn't, he doesn't have a life after revenge planned so mm-hmm. i'm sort of like what are you until until he falls in love with um anna taylor joy's character and then, then there is incentive for him to try and survive this. And he's faced with the choice of, do I abandon this revenge quest and follow happiness? Or do I follow through with this bloody plan to exact revenge from my father? And realistically, I mean, this is pretty clear in the movie, realistically, probably not walk away from that. <laughs> right mm-hmm. and there's a prophecy that he gets which i think is a spooky scene bjork is the uh witch or prophet i'm not sure people aren't really named i mean there's little bits of this that i think are super cool there's a uh there's a couple of mystical shaman type people there's a sort of a berserker training ceremony where the guys it's it reminded me of the the dune scene where the guy was like, there, oh no. you know, and they're like doing this sort of ceremony of painting the blood on the forehead. And the guys are doing sort of a, in this film, they're doing sort of a berserker dance with their sword and shield while the guy is singing the song about Odin, the sort of shaman. Um, but the other Shakespearean was Lady Macbeth, the wives in this, uh, in this movie are ferocious <laughs> and uh, i thought i was a little my eyebrow twitched a little bit when i saw that nicole kidman was in this because i thought so is this going to be a vanity thing for her like and no she's a, a great actress i really like nicole kidman one of the things i do note is that she's had a lot of work done and yeah. you sort of see the work. I mean, she's not a young woman anymore, and that's fine. But th- there's been a lot of of work done on her face to make her look young. I didn't find that distracting at all in this. I thought her performance was for absolutely ferocious. In the scene where Amnet uh, confronts her, presuming that she's going to be delighted that he's alive and that he's coming to avenge his father... And here's another spoiler alert. And she's actually sort of horrified and said, I hated your father and he was a clown. And I basically egged your uncle on to do this, which is very Lady Macbeth. But there's also a confrontation scene where Hamlet confronts Gertrude in the same way. And there's sort of weird psychosexual energy between them and the play that gets interpreted in a couple of different ways, you know, many different ways on stage. And this one it's she actually kisses him and it's the full Freudian weight of it. <clears throat> so I got really excited about all of that stuff. I agree with you that the pacing seemed to, The pacing seemed to sag a little in the middle. It's not a real dialogue-driven movie, which is fine. But there are long spaces where you feel like it's um, the, the, the vehicle, the plot itself isn't moving forward much. He's sort of biding his time. But Hamlet talks about it, right? Hamlet has these famous soliloquies where he's explaining, where he's hemming and hawing to the audience in soliloquy and and uh, Skarsgård's character is a man of very few words mm-hmm. <laughs> so we sort of get him brooding but what you what you really the camera just sort of he's he's I don't know what work he did he's obviously got absolutely ripped but his deltoids are yeah. enormous he's almost a hunchback his delta insane yeah like like as if you were chopping wood predominantly his deltoids are like they're they're nuts he looks mm-hmm. like um 
juggernaut a little bit. There's almost mm-hmm. no neck there. And so he's sort of lurching around and sometimes he's, you know, clothed as a slave and other times uh, he's shirtless and splattered with blood. But the camera seems to let following Skarsgård's character replace, you know, stand in as the sort of internal monologue or motivation. And I don't know that it accomplishes the same work. So there's a part of me that agrees with you, like this, you might've been able to cut, if you were ruthless about it, you might've been able to cut 30 minutes out of this film and not lost the tone or the sense of space. I mean, all of that, it's, I don't know if they shot it in Iceland or whatever. He ends up in Iceland. Uh, it's gorgeous. You know, the cinematography is beautiful and the world is absolutely vivid. So it's not like, well, we need that time to establish. No, no, no. That's visually, it's very specific. I think they used Iceland for, um, Prometheus, some of the stuff that they shot in Prometheus. And it's a, it's a seemingly a great location because it looks like another planet, you know? Yeah. Primordial. Yeah. I love that he's so he Anna Taylor Joy has been all in all three of Eggers films. Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, she wasn't in the lighthouse. She's not in the lighthouse now, but yeah. she was in the witch, and and she was in this one, and then of course, um, uh, I can't believe my brain goes to sleep. Um, who uh, Willem Dafoe was in the lighthouse and this one, not in the, not in the witch, but mm-hmm. I like that he returns to the same actors. I like that he, you know, there, there wasn't a role <laughs> for Hannah Taylor joy in, in the witch, but uh, I mean, in the, in the lighthouse, in the lighthouse. Yeah. I think the lighthouse is probably my favorite of his three films. I, today. I would definitely say that. Yeah. I think it's the tightest and the most complex and the most um, original feeling. And it's not overtly a horror film in the way that uh, The Witch is. I mean, I think The Witch is more than just a horror film. I think it's a really interesting study on the family dynamic. And it's almost even a historical drama, too. Like, it's, mm-hmm. I, I, there's a lot going on in The Witch. But you, there's no way to sell that other than a horror movie. Um, the Lighthouse is really like an art film. I mean, I don't yeah. know how you'd, I don't know how else you'd pitch that. And then this one, I think you could sell it wide and you could open it wide as an action. You know, Vikings are popular now. So you could sell this as a kind of an action adventure, but that's not strictly what it is. Although there's a lot of murder with swords and action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a magic sword and there's a, you know, there's a prophecy and uh, he, he goes into that tomb a la Conan and he gets the magic sword. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. That was very Conan as well. Yeah. uh, Yeah. The uh, night guardian holding the sword comes to life and they fight. And, and then there's a sort of little coda scene where it makes it seem like perhaps that was all in his head somehow. Yeah. It, 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 I was unsure. It's interesting because the film dances around the supernatural. It certainly paints a world in which the the inhabitants of this world believe in the supernatural, right? They have shamans and ceremonies and visions and throw stuff in the fire and the smoke billows and they hear voices, right? But the filmmaker seems to be hedging his bets and saying like, well, whether or not there are gods and demons is open to interpretation. Like I'm not, saying this is a magic movie, but they certainly believed there was magic, right? Did you mm-hmm. feel that too? I mean, I, I took, there were times where, like you said, you had the uh, the thing with the magic, when he goes and gets the magic sword and, you know, has this battle with the the knight or whatever. And and then it, it seems maybe that that was in his head. But you also have a scene later where he is captured and they tie him up in you know this kind of a hut and they go to do something else i forget what exactly was happening right and these these crows come and and save him they chew through the ropes and and uh odin he he prays to odin yeah so i took it as as you know being literal uh 
supernatural elements. And if that's the case, going back to what you were talking about earlier with um, the where he's kind of biding his time, there's different times where he could have killed the guy. I felt like that was very movie logic, uh, you know, kind of a thing because he has a magic sword and he's basically protected by these supernatural elements. You know, if these crows can come and save him right. when he's tied up, it seems like he could have just gone in and just started killing people right away. And, right. But, you know, then you have a shorter, you have a much shorter film. Right. So as well, far as the, the prophecy tells me, I will, I will kill him in a lake of fire or something like yeah. that. Which then, that, that was another thing that felt very uh, Star Wars Episode Three to me, right. you know, fighting in the in the volcano. Don't uh, try it. I have the higher ground. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, so I mean, it was a very cool scene, you know, the way that was shot. I mean, it, it definitely, like I say, the the movie for me definitely got better as it as it went along. As far as the Shakespeare element, um, I was reading that that this was based on a Viking legend. Sure. Um, so, you know, maybe they took that and then combined the, uh, you know, the Hamlet aspects of it, or maybe Hamlet knew of, or not Hamlet, but Shakespeare knew sure. this Viking legend and borrowed elements, you know, who knows, but. The Vikings uh, were earlier, of yeah, course. Yeah. And in Shakespeare, uh, Hamlet was set in Denmark. Mm -hmm. Not exactly, but Northern. Yeah. Yeah, it could have drawn on the same source material. Yeah. But um yeah, uh, I don't know if there were some other points that you talked about in there but that maybe that I wanted to touch on, but um I just wanted to underline that moment. They they catch him and they have him chained up before the crows come in and yeah. un and free him in an unexpected way, right? Mm -hmm. Like and he gets away and they all run in well, expecting well, him to be in there. They're, they're like, like oh, now we he's just butchered a bunch of their men. And it was like, oh, we caught you and now I'm going to kill you. And he's like, he says, you could try and stab me with the sword, but the sword will just turn, right? Because I am protected. And the other guy kind of looks at him. He's like, well, we'll be back later to kill you. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not the line, but it's something like that. I'm like, kill him. It's, what is this, yeah. James Bond? Well, Mr. Bond... You know, I've waited for this moment my whole life, but I'm going to leave while it happens. The the bump the 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 villains were somewhat bumbling because yeah. uh, I don't know if we if we brought this up or not, but he is uh, he he pretends to be um, uh, a slave, and the uh, the the uncle they bring these slaves to them to use on their farm because the the he had been a king and then he lost his kingdom and now he's a farmer, you know? And so anyway, so they bring him in as the slave to do work. And that I thought was funny how a lot of that was handled because they didn't keep track of the slaves very well. Like, I don't no. know why they didn't just like chain them up at night or something like that, but he just is able to just wander around and do all this stuff. And yeah. he's going and it's kind of, it's, it's almost, I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but I, I found it kind of funny as, you know, he would go and kill one of these guys in the night. And then the next morning, you know, they would have no idea who did it. And it was like, Oh, it's, they thought it was a demon or something, you know, and, and he kills several of them before they figure out what's going on. Right. I don't know. I, I just thought and they that was never funny. figure out it's him until he reveals that it's him. Yeah. Yeah. But I just thought that was funny that he was able to do all this covert stuff with yeah. them, you know, well, not getting caught. And it's a little bit like the slaves are a typical bunch of people. And then he is this juggernaut. Like he. Is that he wears this sort of shapeless burlap thing, but you can tell that he is jacked. I mean, he looks like, you know, you don't give you give him the heavy work because he's the big, strong, muscly guy. And he carries himself pretty quietly like he doesn't. He keeps his head down literally most of the time. But still, it's like if you were looking around being like, who could have done this? Well, you got these 20 slaves here. Any one of them likely suspects? Well, why don't we just for the moment say it's none of the 10 women? <laughs> All right. Yeah. So the 10 guys, let's apply a tiny bit of who has the strength to behead a man in a single stroke? Well, yeah. it's either him or maybe that dude. No offense. <laughs> you yeah. know I mean? <laughs> so, but you're not, 
you're not supposed to think about it that hard. And I think no, that no. I feel like um, when you compare it to the lighthouse that just seemed to have so much poetry and mystery woven into it in every single scene. Um, this one does feel uh, more two dimensional than that film. I I had read when this came out and and then watching it i i was laughing at this as well but that this was um supposed to be his sellout movie basically where like uh -oh. this is him selling out to do like a a blockbuster movie or whatever and the the only way that i would um that say that that is accurate because this is a super weird film um and you know i can imagine a lot of people going into this not really knowing what it was going to be you know thinking maybe it was some sort of historical epic and you know i can imagine people being turned off by this by the mm -hmm. weirdness of it and just how i mean it is brutally gory and graphic you know, in, yeah. in parts um but it compared to his other two films there's definitely a silliness to this i don't know if silly is is the correct term but you know just some of these little uh you, you don't really have um and they're very different kind of movies but you don't really have in the lighthouse and the witch um you know i don't think you're i don't know if you're watching those and thinking as much about the decisions that the characters are making as you are in this you know what i mean I guess not entirely, but I, I I just mean the fact that you know there's very there's various um you know things that we've already talked about that's him creeping around at night and all of that that right. just doesn't well, seem as as uh, well structured as in his other films. Right. Um, tell me more about what you read about this being the sellout movie because it does conform. Like if you if you wrote out the skeleton of the plot, uh, you know, the sort of blow by blow paragraph version of events as they unfold, it does conform to a hero epic. It's, you know, the prince basically watches his father murdered by his usurping brother, flees for his life, returns as a man, returns to avenge his father. You know, it's pretty straightforward. That could be, Arthurian legend that could be Star Wars that could be anything right it's a pretty classic archetype setting it in Viking uh, Viking times seems like a very hip uh, popular way to do it now Vikings are popular um I just did did the studio come to him with this script or this concept or did he think i know what i'll do i'll make this movie and so it was actually from what i had read it was actually skarsgård he had wanted to do he'd been wanting to do a viking film for a long time wow. and and he i guess kind of had this idea and then got hooked up with uh robert eggers and then they met bjork and then Bjork actually introduced them to the screenwriter who who ultimately wound up writing the writing the screenplay. Um, and I also read there was some uh, interference wouldn't be the right word, but this was actually as it originally was when it was tested for audiences, they used much more of the original language. And the test audiences were having heart. It was confusing for them. Yeah. So they they took a lot of that out and used, you know, they just spoke English instead. Right. So he wanted it to be more art house than it, or his original intention apparently yes. was for it to be. So I don't know if there was any, um, I had read a little bit, and I'm just going from memory on this from a few months ago when the movie came out, but I had read that he wasn't entirely happy with this, that, you know, some of the changes that they, that they made him, made him do. So um, I guess from the, the sellout aspect, it was just more that his other two films, I mean, are not, there's very little action in, in, in them. Whereas this is, you know, kind of like, oh, this is the, you know, even though it's still, like I said, very art house and strange. It wasn't there, the action. A bit of action in this, you know. 
wasn't the action element to this that struck me. It was the kind of... It was the kind of... Uh, I don't want to say this in a pejorative way. The paint-by-numbers plot. Like, it's just mm -hmm. so classic a uh, hero story. Shot through the lens of a historic epic uh, with a lot of art house stuff, you know, and the way in which he did the mystics and the witch and the shaman or whatever. I don't know what the proper terms would be for those characters, but he shot it like an art house film. Yes. But, but the script is not an art house script. No, the dialogue is not art house. The dialogue, it, the dialogue is not particularly elegant either. Um, it's pretty on the nose, you know, mm -hmm. which I feel like uh, it differs from the other two films that he's made. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe once you get those, once you get that story put together, somebody's got a connection to a studio, and then the studio is interested in putting some money up, and then Nicole Kidman gets attached. And maybe that feels like a sellout movie because once there's studio money involved in it, the studio has a say. And they're like, well, we need to. And I mean, this is a pretty big budget for what is essentially an art house film, you know, yeah. 970 well, to 90 million dollars. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And what surprises me, actually, is they didn't water it down more because it is graphically violent. And, yeah. You know, a lot of his personal style is still there. But I feel like studios are pretty ruthless about being like, you know, it doesn't taste like we want it to taste until it's got enough of our piss in it. <laughs> really, that's a good. You know point. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and rarely do they say, you know, we're just we're just gonna get out of your way and let you make your movie, you know, because <clears throat> it's a numbers game for the studios, um, which is why the Lord of the Rings is such a surprise, right? This is so crazy that they would have finance that project it paid off i mean that's a unicorn gamble that turned into a huge cash cow but just to, to green light all three movies to be shot over 10 years simultaneously and release i mean that's yeah it was an enormous gamble on that in in fantasy that was not a popular you know it wasn't a, anyway no not particularly yeah what's but surprising to, to, to me is that there's as much of Edgar's hand still apparent in this because i feel like it keeps it from being a flashy blockbuster summer thing because mm -hmm. it's extremely dark yeah grim um and there's not a happy ending he dies he doesn't make it back to his wife and kid which in a blockbuster he would he'd stagger yeah. home and they'd be they'd ha happily ever after so it's like I feel like you got kind of the worst of both worlds. You, 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 you watered it down enough to try and barely make it fit the template of the thing, but not enough that you can sell it as the thing you were trying to make it into. You know, you mm. can't really sell it as a blockbuster. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just like his style so much. Like I enjoyed it. I didn't watch it as a blockbuster. I watched it as an Eggers film, but mm. I feel like it's the, it's probably the third favorite of mine for all the reasons we've been picking apart. Definitely for me as well. Yeah. And I, I guess just for me, I, I had, I hadn't really read. Um, I mean, there's not a lot to spoil as in, in terms of the plot, but I hadn't read a lot about the plot, but I had read just quite a few um, and not critics, just regular people on social media just saying oh this you know is one of the best movies I've ever seen and this is a masterpiece and all this kind of stuff and so i think i went into it a little too sure hyped and i would say with his other films as artsy as they are and you know slow slow burn type films i've watched the witch three times and i think maybe i've watched the lighthouse twice so those are movies that I can that I can watch somewhat repeatedly and it'd be you know I might watch this again sometime but I this this I wouldn't really be interested in repeat viewings mm -hmm. with this this one it just dragged a bit too much for me at, at times like I say once the the I guess maybe the last 45 minutes to an hour I thought was really great 
Um, but, but, you know, as you said, it, it sags in the middle and, and for me, it sagged a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I do. I do agree that this would be better on a 75 foot screen. Like if I had gone and see this in an IMAX, that would have yeah. been way better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this isn't something that you want to watch on your phone or your laptop. You know, watch it on as big a screen as you can. You know, if you big have a big screen in your in your home, watch it on that. Um, that's about as much as I have to say about it. And with just with Eggers in general, I mean, I think he's a. Even though I was somewhat mixed on this, I think he's a really exciting filmmaker. So, you know, he's made three now films that are are good to great um he definitely has a unique vision and uh and is able to convey that to his performers like everybody in his movies is in the same universe and in the lighthouse it's a two-hander but in the witch you really believe the people inhabit that universe together yeah this is a much larger cast than either of those two films and it's still true that's not nothing no, no. And you know, one thing that I was thinking about that really occurred to me a lot watching this uh, is he really puts his actors through a lot. You know, it's not like they are, um, you know, you know that uh, Alexander Skarsgård is not actually doing all this backbreaking work and stuff, but they're muddy and they're wading through the mud and they're wading through water and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sure... A lot of these, you know, it's not uh, uh, 80 degrees and sunny in this. I'm sure there was a lot of times in this film that the actors were cold and wet and muddy. You know what I mean? So I don't know that these would be fun. And they're all like this. You know, I don't know that these would be fun films to work on. Yeah, you know, Uh, and I mean, I know it's it's movie magic. So, you know, when they cut their putting on a big heavy coat or something sure. you know but still well, they probably have space heaters i mean but yeah. you want to when you're acting in a scene you want it to be if it's supposed to be bitterly uncomfortable you want it yeah. to be at least sort of uncomfortable sure and you're cold is cold and, and cold muddy is, cold. is muddy you know i mean they're yeah. not it's not like it's cg or something you know so right um so he uh you know he I, that just really struck me watching this. I just thought a lot of this probably would have not been much fun, you know? <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think we're both going to recommend it. Um, I, I would certainly, if you're in, interested in uh, this director's work uh, or if you're a fan of any of the performance, because I think the performance, I, I really loved Anna Taylor joy in this. Um Yeah. And uh, I've, I'm a fan of everyone in the first place. The Skarsgård does a great job. Um, I, Nicole Kidman is great in this too. Um, I, I yeah, I think it's I think it's worth a watch. Uh, you know, I would say of his three films, it's probably my third favorite. But it's also a different. It's a different kind of film. There are horrifying moments, but it's not a horror movie. It's a, I mean, it's a Viking movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think, compared to many of the other films we've watched, I mean, this is a filmmaker who knows what he is doing. Like, oh, for really sure, masterfully yeah. shot film and meticulously directed film, and yeah, I think it's worth it. Yeah, I would like I say I was, you know, less. Um, thrilled by it than you i think my my expectations were just too high um but it's you know for people who liked his other two films you're probably going to like this if if you weren't into the witch or the lighthouse you know this probably isn't going to be for you you're not Um, gonna be like but but the third one i loved (laughs) yeah i mean maybe you know and i suppose there could be people that would fall under that category just because this is um you know, I think there was a lot of crossover with this for people who are horror fans that want to see a lot of blood and guts, which this has lots of that. Yes. Um, so, you know, the people that are into that, you know, this might appeal to them. But I um, like I say, he's 
the guy is definitely a brilliant filmmaker and there has been, I don't know if this has ever been completely finalized, but there's talk of him doing a Nosferatu remake. I think this would be the, you know, cause there was the one from the silent one and then uh, Werner Herzog did one in 1979 or something. And so I don't know if this would be the third one or if there have been other remakes or not, but with Anya Taylor joy in it, um, and as Nosferatu, as Nosferatu, yeah, I forget who, um, I forget who was going to play Nosferatu, but I don't think that's ever been that's been in the in talks for a while. I don't know if it's ever been finalized, but I, that could be really exciting. Yeah, that could I be. think. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's worth a watch. I would say I concur. So before we get on to what we're doing next time, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That's our handle. We're on the socials. We're on the podcast. We're on YouTube. You might be listening to us right now. You might be watching us right now. Either way, thank you so much for joining us. Please like and subscribe. We love it. Leave a comment, a suggestion, some feedback, a question. And we will do our best to respond to it in kind. Um, for next time, we had discussed mad god mm-hmm. a shutter original now this is an animator that has worked with some truly great other filmmakers and this is his pet project apparently over the past 30 years and it came mm-hmm. out just now or recently it's an all stop motion animation thing and it's a sort of a nightmarish i don't really know what it's about um but you can yeah, i don't trailers online it looks cuckoo birds so I'm excited. Yeah. And maybe you guys should check it out and join us next time when we talk about Mad God. Yes. Yes. Um, Cool. Beans, do you have anything else to add? I did want to ask you if you have watched the Lord of the Rings show. Uh, no, I haven't watched oh, okay. it yet. I do intend to check it out because we... We pinged back and forth. I read two reviews, one of which was literally fawning and over the moon saying this is the single greatest fantasy cinematic adaptation of all time. And then another one that says uh, this is kind of a catastrophe, like mm-hmm. it it does almost everything wrong. Uh, and I, you know, and it cites a bunch of examples, not in a snarky way, but it was clearly a disappointment to the other reviewer. So there's a part of me that I'm like, well, this I got to see. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the reviews overall have been OK. I don't think it was like, you know, the consensus, I don't think, is that it's a disaster. Um, let me look here real quick. And I will tell you what it is on. I was trying to look for. Oh, okay. It's the rings of power, right? Yeah. It's an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, I haven't waited yet. Critics seem to be okay with it. Now the audience score though is only 39%. Mm. So and that's unusual that the critic score is going to be higher than the audience score. Yeah. Unless it's like very highbrow. Like I would believe yes. that for the lighthouse, I would believe that, that the critics were like, this is a cinematic achievement. And audiences were like, what? You know, I could, I could see that, but hard for me to believe that the ring of power would do that. I'll, I'll check it out. I, what the three things that I have been watching are, um, I've been watching the, house of the dragon on hbo the prequel Mm -hmm. to game of thrones and it's interesting the performances are terrific and the script runs pretty deep i was a little afraid it would feel like well watered down game of thrones light it does not feel like that at all if anything it's uh more violent and you know like in ways that I, I didn't really necessarily watch it for the violence, but some of the, you know, the episodes like the red wedding where I was like, holy mackerel, like I need a minute. Like that was mm-hmm. just so rough, you know, and there, the violence in this, 
in, in early episodes of this is shocking in similar ways. And I, I understand that uh, seasoning you're using in this stew you're making of a series, but uh, it's not one of my favorite seasonings. I sustain a little bit of it, but when it starts to feel really heavy handed on that, I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. but, um, but the performances are great. Like the people, the reaction shots of of the of the principal characters while political stuff is happening, because political period things like this can be tricky. You really the people have to really understand how the way in which this other character says a thing has huge implications in terms of the machinations they're trying to make manifest, right? And the dialogue doesn't pick that apart. So you you rely on the reaction shots of of the other actors to give you a sense of, oh, he's now he's treading on thin ice and so forth. And they, I think the performances are very rich so far in what I've seen. So I'm watching that and I'm watching um, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, which yeah. I don't follow all of the um, Marvel stuff, but I like Tatiana Maslany a lot and i think she's doing a great job it's actually very like deadpool it's very slapstick and it's very comic Mm -hmm. um which i'm liking you know the cgi looks like they didn't spend much money on it because when she's green she's almost entirely cgi Mm -hmm. but i think it's an interesting character to explore and there's a funny supporting cast and they're bringing in a lot of cameos. They bring in Wong from um, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, and you know, so yeah, I've been watching. And the what's the third thing I've been watching? I guess I don't remember the third thing I've been watching. There's a mm-hmm. other serial show that I've been checking out, but it, it can't be too important because I can't remember what it was. I was reading just in general uh, entertainment talk that Netflix. Netflix is kind of at least the media is making out like Netflix is kind of floundering, but they are talking about now going to a, going away from a binge model to releasing their, you know, in the future, they may go to releasing their uh, shows um, each week. Interesting. Uh, which. That know, has that to be was- money driven, right? Because the only reason you would do that is if people, if the show drops, people save it up and then they subscribe for a month and they watch absolutely everything they want to see. And then they unsubscribe for six months until it builds up again. Right. Yeah. And they were also talking about some of the talk was that with the other streaming services like Disney plus or prime or whatever Hulu, where they do a traditional model, then, you know, it's basically like um, Netflix, a show comes out, the people watch it in a weekend or whatever. And then it's on to the next thing. Whereas, uh, you know, the Mandalorian or the Marvel shows or whatever, they're able to stretch that hype out over eight or 10 weeks or whatever, you know, right. as uh, but, you know, I think you um, that's where Netflix is, is different is the, the binge thing. You know, you, I don't know, not to get into a whole uh, side topic, but uh you know, Netflix, their their stock kind of skyrocketed during the pandemic because people were at home, you know, and then all the stock people, you know, the stock market analyst people were like, oh, Netflix stock dropped. What could have happened? Well, people went back to work and they right. weren't at home as much. You know what uh, I mean? Hard for this me to idea imagine. of just like exponential growth forever with companies you know that we have to imagine foundering yeah but that's every article that you see now it's like netflix is in trouble you know the other thing is is they were they're on the verge of going under something which is not the case you know they were the first ones to go all in on streaming too yeah and And now there's a bunch of competition nobody's gonna do that but now hbo is caught up showtime is caught up peacock is caught up hulu is caught up right yeah. And so on a Disney Plus, everybody's got that. Like it's the new thing now is to be a streaming platform. And if you just look at some of the other HBO, Disney, I mean, these are not, they don't have uh, shallow pockets. So 
when they decide this is the new way to to go, you don't pay a cable company to subscribe to HBO anymore. You pay HBO them directly mm-hmm. um, to subscribe through an app on whatever Roku or Apple TV or whatever it has smart, or just the smart TV itself. Now those things have apps built into them. Yeah. So, and I think that's going to continue to evolve and change, but um, each of those different platforms does their own, like, Mad God is a Shutter original, right? Yeah. Shutter. Um, and there's Paramount Plus, and there's, I mean, you know, there's the heavy hitters. I think HBO is one of the heavy hitters, and Prime didn't even say Prime. Prime is yeah. one of the heavy hitters. Um, so, and there, and you you need both hands to count the real players in this industry. So, saying Netflix, Netflix is floundering seems a little hyperbolic to me but maybe they're not at the vanguard of the streaming sure this is anymore which they were for a long time yeah anywho anywho so i don't know that's pretty much it as far as that just sort of general talk but yeah so we'll do mad god for the next time Mad God. Great. Time. I don't know if you do not have Shutter, if there's a way to watch, if it can be rented somewhere or anything or not. Uh, there's a seven day free trial, I noticed when I was looking oh, okay. at it. Um, so you could always do that. Or I'm sure it works like all of the other streaming services. You could subscribe. I don't know if it's six ninety nine or yeah, Shutter's cheap. It's like five five bucks yeah i mean so really if you were going to rent the thing if there's any other single thing you want to watch on shutter for a month do the trial subscribe to it for a month cancel i mean the the <laughs> i like that model the onus is on me to remember to cancel these subscriptions that's the hard part yeah i'm bad about 15 forgetting bucks, what the heck oh i forgot to cancel that subscription mm-hmm. but um yep thank you for listening um and we will talk to you next week with uh, Mad God. Uh, anything else we want to add about the Northmen? I don't think so. No. Yeah, you know, it's worth a watch. All right, gang, it's worth a watch. Check it out. Thank you so much for joining us. Like and subscribe. And we will talk to you next week.